This episode of Pop and Play talks about what if possibilities. Haney and Nathan were inspired to talk about what if after watching the Margot series by that exact title. Let's jump right in to hear Nathan recapping the alternative reality superhero show. The episode we watched imagines the alternate world that might emerge if Peggy Carter, not Steve Rogers, became Captain America. And while we get into that episode a bit, our conversation is mostly about this amazing prompt, what if? We bring in Mike Dando, assistant professor of English from St. Cloud State University to help us see the connections between comics, hip hop, and speculative fiction, which for our purposes refers to fiction that invites us to imagine what if things were different. If you want to know more, be sure to check out our other episode, Future Dreaming, with Ebony Elizabeth Thomas and Olu Anamishan from last season of Pop and Play. The, the sort of episode opens with this uh, faceless watcher saying, you know, uh, time, space, reality, it's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibilities where a single choice can branch into infinite realities creating alternate worlds from the one you know, right? So that's like the entire premise of what's going on here. What did you think of this though? I mean, this is, is this your cup well, of tea? at first I did not realize it was going to be a cartoon or animated. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't want to say cartoon because I feel like that has some kind of weird undertones to it, but we can an call it, animated I'm okay. cartoon. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're okay with cartoon. Okay. Absolutely. So, at first, I was not expecting that. I was actually expecting it to be live action, right? So oh. I was expecting it to be like the actual people. So that was surprising to me. And usually, I'm not like a cart animated <laughs> series person, right? But I actually really liked it. I liked it. And like you, I thought that there were some things that didn't change, um, that maybe it was a person that was different, but the actual reality of it was still similar. Um, and so now that you you mentioned that, it's making me think about like what has what is actually different. And I was thinking about like the what if possibilities, right? Like what if in my own life I had done this instead of this? Like would the outcome have been the same or different? Like it's gonna help but think about that too, um, because I think there were so many things that were actually the same, um, but that the process or the circumstances around it were just slightly altered. Um, I mean, I think. This idea of 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 asking what if is it, it seems pretty central, not only to kind of these this 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 TV show that we're talking about, but also just kind of a, a fundamental part of play, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're constantly asking. Play is in many ways constantly asking what if. I've been thinking about that a lot because I've had to be on panels or things where we have to talk about play. Um, and as I've talked about this before, but in early childhood, play comes with a lot of like curricular goals and things that, you know, we want to do. And there's like whole curriculum, right? That's like structured around like how to structure play for kids, right? And I feel like the idea of play is like to expand our imagination, right? And that yeah. means it's understanding or getting to things that we've never thought about before, right? And so if it's things that we haven't thought about yet, right, or things that still have to come to be, then there's really no way that we could structure it, right? Or that we can um, put parameters around it, right? Because we're all yeah. like trying to learn and understand deeper, understand different things through how kids might play. Well, I was just going to say, I want to respond to that because I, because I remember we talk about this a little bit in the, 
in our episode about uh, role-playing games that mm-hmm. that structure and constraints can be actually super generative, yeah, right. right? And so the idea of having you know some series of activities that are kind of uh, you know structured or or a set of choices for for the for the player to make like that's not necessarily a bad thing, and that's also not necessarily counter to the idea of play. Um, yeah, this what if game is, is has a very clear structure, right? We mm-hmm. take we take something that exists, we take certain characters, we take certain histories, and we ask one we ask what if we change a feature and then what happens? That's a, that's a totally structured game. Um, oftentimes in schools we sort of do things because they're quote unquote fun, but they have no, but th- but they're not actually meaningful in any way. They're sort of these kind of one off you know experiences. And so I'm 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 kind of conflicted in some ways here, right? Because I love people just being able to play for the sake of play, and and I love, um, you know, I think you know to, to your point about kind of early childhood education, a lot of the value in play is some of this imagination and some of this asking what if and some of this kind of exploration and hypothesis generation type stuff. Um, but but I also think that like just putting something, just trying to shine something up or just putting a bell and a whistle on something so that it sounds mm-hmm. more fun or it seems mm-hmm. more playful is actually kind of mm-hmm. screwed up too. <laughs> oh my gosh, Nathan. Okay. No, I feel like that's a really good point because now I'm thinking two things from that. The first one is that I was just talking to someone about how, remember when you were a teacher or when you were in second grade, you had to make a circuit <laughs> and it yeah, was like yeah, yeah, so yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, that you like put up wire through potato yeah. and put it in a battery and then you make it light up or whatever, you know, but that you had no idea at the end of it. <laughs> what the hell you had done work. or why? Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like the second thing I was thinking about was speculative fiction is also a social justice movement, yeah. right? Like it's not just about like writing an alternative future, right? It's also yeah. to like dream up new futures. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something that has, you know, there's work that gets done in it, right? Which also disrupts the idea of what plan work are, right? So it's always like hard to define these things. But I think you're right. Like there is definitely something, if you're trying to accomplish something, um, that just being fun is not enough, (laughs) right? There has to be more to it. Well, maybe my beef here is really with just about how we define what the goals are. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if the if the activity is we're going to do an activity that is using some wires and batteries and potatoes and lights and things to do something cool. And and if the goal of that is to engage kids in in following instructions to build an artifact, you know, and, or to explore the ways in which electricity might work or what electricity might be able to do. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. You could do some pretty, you know, that's a fine activity and that could be fun. If your goal mm-hmm. is, ah, this will teach them about electricity, you're sort of just lying to yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so as, we're, as we continue our discussion about speculative practice and speculative futures, we thought we'd invite our lovely guest who's wearing a Batman sweatshirt right now, um, Michael Dando, um, to talk with us about um, what if, um, and not just what if the show, but also what if and possibilities. So, Mike, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us why you're qualified to talk to us today? You know what? I can do the first part. Um, <laughs> my, hi, everybody. My name is Mike Dando. I am an assistant professor of English at St. Cloud State University in St. Cloud, Minnesota, um, where I work with uh, secondary teachers, um, English teachers, be precise 
um, middle school and high school teachers. I'm also an education researcher. Um, and I spend most of my time studying um, the intersection of pop culture, um, particularly comics and, and hip hop, education and democratic engagement. So and particularly critical literacy development and multimodal literacies. So um, I spend a lot of time asking what if we did it this way? What if we like, so I spend most of my, my time thinking about these types of, these types of speculative uh, questions. Plus I'm a giant nerd, but, but I look at the ways kids read the word, uh, word in the world um, through the things that they um, are interested in, the, the stories they tell, um, the media they create, the media they consume um, and not use not how that's used to teach, but what that teaches in inherently. So mm -hmm. I, I look at hip hop, um, hip hop culture, and comics, um, and there's a, a deep interaction and, and link between the two. Can you give an example that you were saying that like you use these things not to you know not to like teach, but to to help us understand you know teaching and 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 learning? Can you say, can you give an example like maybe with comics? Like what what does that look like? Um, I learned about the social contract from Spider Man. Um, because with great power must also come great responsibility. Yeah. That's not like, I'm going to teach my kids about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to teach my kids about John Locke and, and, and mm. enlightenment philosophy. Well, how would I do that? I know Peter Parker. It's in there already. <laughs> right. I guess in a nutshell, would you say that that's kind of like what you mean by critical literacy is the idea of like the tools of literacy to mobilize some kind of agency, right? For, right. Exactly. Uh, you, I like what you said. <laughs> We're kind of talking about the the playfulness of this activity. I'm kind of curious, as an expert in these areas, can you say a little bit about this game of what if and and how it's been played in in sort of comics and comic culture over the years? Is this like a new thing? Well, or is this like, um, and one thing I think that's uh, I, when we talk about mobilizing um, mobilizing agency, I just want to put a pin in this here real quick. Is is this idea of we look at ways that kids, kids already know that their students already know that they're very powerful and they have the capacity to make decisions for themselves and about themselves. They're experts in their own lives, right? And so how, but they don't often get to do that in mm. a classroom space, a, a tr we'll call it traditional classroom space. So if we're to ask the question like, well, what does mobilizing agency mean? It means like taking that thing that exists and letting it rip. Right, um, and not just um, not just manufacturing consent. Right, it's not like pick a book off this list. Mm -hmm. That's not choice. <laughs> That's not agency. All right, kids, you can pick five of these books. They're all dead white guys. Like that's not it. <laughs> um, we're talking about mobilizing agency. It's 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 supporting our students in taking up and taking action for themselves to create to speculate as as Haney was talking about a, a better world, like to imagine and then envision a better world and then. Mm -hmm follow that through. So that's what comics does. That's what comics do does, period. This is kind of mm -hmm. talking about like with, with hip hop too, is just like hip hop wasn't invented by grownups. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't invented by record producers, it was invented by children who were making something out of nothing that were, were what if we had, what if we, what if we could do something else with these records? What if we all got together and, and hung out? So, hip hop in and of itself is a speculative thing. What happens if I touch the record and wiggle it? Oh, it makes an amazing <laughs> sound. Mm. Um, and I can actually use that. And then now we're talking bricolage, but a 14 year old's mm -hmm. doing it, which we mm -hmm. we don't necessarily think about, at least I don't 
um, or I haven't in the past. Like, I don't think about that automatically as like the <laughs> kids are su- like incredibly powerful. The question is, what if we recognize that? I mean, I was just thinking about your answer to the thing about power, which I loved because it kind of annoys me when people talk about like giving power to kids, right? Because there's no power that you have to give because they're already like powerful, right? Like it's the conditions that are around it that make it, you know, that make it impossible for them to like engage or initiate or use that, right? So it's like not giving kids power because they already have it, but it's like mobilizing it, right? Like trying to find the conditions or the platforms or, you know, the genres that kind of bring that to light. So yeah, like when we create, the, the, the speculative question, I think, Haney, is, is that's, that's, that, that's important, is what if we created those conditions where students could engage um, in culturally authentic practice, culturally sustaining practices? Mm-hmm. Um, what do those conditions mm-hmm. look like? Why are they important? How are they created? Why don't they exist? These are all speculative questions because we're imagining forward. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, we're, ima- like, we're not just imagining forward, we're hoping forward. Oftentimes in creative work, uh, a set of rules that we construct or a set of constraints that we that we put in play to be creative and to be generative from. And so I'm wondering, you know, for you as somebody who, you know, is an is an English professor who spends a lot of time with teachers who are who are learning to become teachers and uh, in the classroom, you know, what are some of those rules? What are some of those constraints that we might see that's part of being generative about speculative work. The rules are socially constructed. This is not me being being glib or flippant. No, but, yeah. But 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 because they are so socialized, they become invisible. Hmm. Um, and it's our job to render them visible alongside our students, right? Like I'll say, look at the Avengers. Even the green guy's white. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, hmm. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it like that before. It's important, I think to understand not that there are no rules, but that the rules are what you make them, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, there's like, uh, Fanon talks about this. It's just like, it's when you imagine, you don't just imagine from a blank slate. Right. You have those things, um, but it's, it's like knowing what the ingredients are, you can remix them, right? And so when you are able to articulate what the rules are, then you can change the game. I guess that's the best way I can best way I can put it. But even but even you know I I want to what I want to do is I want to sort of tease out the difference between teachers or or educators or or systems. You didn't have to be in a classroom, right? Sort of dictate top down. Here's what play should look like, or here's what this activity has to look like. Versus the fact that you know, look, when we watch kids playing, they're also following following rules. They're rules that maybe they've invented or they've sort of as you said socially kind of constructed together, but they're emergent. And they and they sometimes emerge through the the kind of um, existing norms of a genre. Sometimes they emerge through kind of a dynamic uh, interaction between the people that are involved in the game. But I but I think so. I think you're speaking to that here. I think that's a really important point is distinguish between those two things. Mm-hmm. Not everything has to just like poof come out of thin air, right? And I think sometimes we think the most creative play is the one that just comes out of nowhere. Right. We're just like sitting in the corner imagining something, right? But sometimes really creative play can come from like tools, right? And design and structures or material that's actually out there. And I think about that with like speculative fiction or, you know, in this case, like the what if idea, right? And the what if, um, you know, series, right? Like that it's the materials and the um 
tools that have been out there that imagine that help us imagine and reconstruct. But yeah, um, when we look at speculative fiction and 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 the what if, it's it's understanding, and this is a very like it's a um, there's a West African concept called Sankofa, right? S A N K O F A that means go back and get it, or roughly translated means go back and get it. it means like the past informs the present which which directs the future right and and that is a it's okay it's good it's necessary to do um especially and this is kind of i i deal a lot in afrofuturism too and mark Derry talked about this um and he said for lack of a better term afrofuturism kind of questions like can people whose pasts have been stolen how do and how might and how can they i'm paraphrasing can they envision a future mm. And that's a, that's an important thing. That's the difference between like robots, like the Jetsons is not, I mean, it's speculative, but it's also <laughs> not what we're talking about. Um, that was fantastic. It was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's what matters. Um, so we want to we play, you know, like we do with all of our guests, we want to play a little game here. And um, I felt like in honor of this week's uh, episode of What If, I wanted to kind of ask you, uh, Mike and, and Haney as well, a couple kind of what if questions uh, in also in sort of a superhero themed setting. So uh, I'm going to give you a question. I'm going to give you a couple options and I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts. All right. So we'll start out with you, Mike. OK, so uh, first question. I know you've got two wonderful children. Uh, what if you were looking for someone to watch your kids for a couple hours on a Saturday night? Who would you choose? Would you choose Bruce Banner? who we also know as the Hulk, Aurora Monroe, Storm, Peter Parker, our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, or Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel? Uh, Storm. Why? You, oh, and, and why? Um, yeah. Because she could make it rain and then they could run through the sprinkles. Um, <laughs> one, she make a rainbow. Yeah. Like kids are crying. Very She's like, practical. what's up? Very practical I, reason. Well, see, no, I know my kids, and I know if you can distract them, then they'll be fine. Like, yeah. they're, like, angry, and they're like, look, a rainbow! And they're like, oh, nice. <laughs> they get that from me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I would go Storm, but also, um, she's uh, she engage, she's the leader of the X-Men, so she has to make teams work together, especially Grumpy. Um, my kid's not unlike Wolverine. Um, and, um, and the other one's kind of like Cyclops. Just yes, like, okay, you two have to get together on this one. So this is one, one more question for both of you. And in a classic sort of what if style, uh, can you name a moment, you know, you turned left instead of right, uh, this past year where you think your superhero, amor uh, your superhero origin story began? This is a great question. Okay, so here's my um, turning point is I was like, it was maybe, I don't know when it was, when I decided this, maybe it was the summer or something. And I ended up teaching this course on like um, contemporary childhoods. It was like, it was just a really cool class with a bunch of like really interesting, cool people. Um, and I think that's where the idea of like a memory and pop culture project came about. And so I feel like if I didn't do that, I would never have gone down this road and that would never have come into being. And I feel like that's the thing that's been taking over my whole life um, these last few months is to talk with people about pop culture and memory and childhood. And it's been really fun. I, th I think it was for me the decision. Um, and I was really, really fortunate to be able to because um, we're in a pandemic 
still are. Um, and, and to say like, I think we're going to go, they gave me an option of, of going virtual or going, you know, try it in person. But, to, and, and I think making the call to go virtual, um, even when I had the option to like, Hey, you should, you can go in person if you want. Um, I think that really, um, I think that really changed the trajectory of the, of the year. I don't want to be a downer, but, um, not only did I learn how to use zoom, um, but my students, um, they kept showing up, they showed up in different ways. Of course, um, we engaged in kind of different practices. I started a podcast, um, called comics school because I teach a, a course on comics and, um, it's called the rhetorics of popular culture. Um, and, um, instead of doing lectures, I just, uh, switched to a podcast format. And so, yeah, that was a pretty significant thing for me in terms of practice and, um, being technologically conversant in Zoom um, <laughs> allowed me to um, be able to participate in, you know, I wasn't freaked out at conferences um, or, or, or those digital spaces because I was, um, except for one who, who I won't, there was a one disaster, but it wasn't my fault. And we still <laughs> ended up on Zoom. Okay, so Mike, what we like to do at the end of our show is to talk about what's popping because this is a a podcast about the importance and the um, idea of pop culture and play in our own lives. Um, And so we like to end with what's popping in pop culture, like what are you watching, what are you engaging with, with the world out there that you're really excited about right now or into Um. Everybody go see Shang-Chi. Like, pause, pause, come back, finish the episode. But go do that now. Um, and, and, and I mean that, uh, I mean that sincerely. Um, it is not just because uh, that character in particular is, is one, of my, one of my favorites and one of the most interesting of all time, but um, I think that it represents a significant paradigmatic shift in how we tell stories and about whom and for whom and through whom and with whom and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, the more people you get in a space to tell stories, oftentimes the better, and especially when those um, voices have been disinvited. And by that, I mean that they've been perhaps present, but not foregrounded, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like, whoa, look, we've got, we we have representation. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Right. Um, Nathan, what about you? What's popping? Oh, well, I'm going to stick with our, our kind of theme this episode and tell you that I have been playing and just absolutely loving um, the Spider-Man Miles Morales video game. And, and, and let me just briefly tell you the reason this game is so fun is there, I've never played a video game that made me feel exactly like, even as a player, that made me feel exactly like the character. Uh, the swinging through the city is the most delightful experience. The the character, you know, true to true to the characters of Peter Parker and Miles Morales are both so joyful. You can you hear them as they're swinging, going woohoo, yeah, <laughs> sort of shouting as they're as they're swinging through the city. And so while you're playing it you feel like you're also swinging through the city and you feel like you're also just having this delightful, joyful experience. Uh, it's so fun. You, everyone should should try to play it at some point. Find a friend that has a, a PlayStation. And they also, the, 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 the New York itself is relatively accurate. They, they change a couple things, but like you can swing 
up onto the the dome of Columbia University and you can just like hang out there for a little while and then like hop down and people are like, hey, Spider-Man, how's it going? They'll take a little selfie with you. It's it's so great. So, I mean, that's what I'm into. What about you, Haney? What's popping for you right now? Um, I was trying to think of something like on the fly, but I'm, I'm just going to say the last thing I've been watching and I like, okay, so mine's Gossip Girl and I realized uh. that I'm building a certain kind of persona on this podcast. <laughs> so then I watched Gossip Girl and then um, they did a like a, it's not a reboot. It's sort of like an, a re, it's almost speculative. Okay, I'm just going to call it the speculative version of Gossip Girl. Um, and what I really like about it it's not just the drama, right? But they have like a lot of queer characters. They have like different kinds of like gender fluidity. They have like all kinds of different sorts of like, it's not just about like popular rich kids, but it's like really about the ideas um, percolating at the surface and at the bottom, at you know, at a deeper level on it. So that's how I'm going to intellectualize Gossip Girl. <laughs> Um, but it's, I, I feel like it's a great show. And the questions it made me think of, it made me think of the what if questions. Like, what if when Gossip Girl was on the original one, like even just 10 years ago, that there were more queer representation? What if there were more gender fluid characters in it? What if there were relationships that were not heteronormative? Like, would it have been different a lot sooner and how yeah. media kind of shapes some of that? So. That's interesting because I've I've not seen uh, the new one at all, but I've seen bits uh, here and there of the old one. And oh, you know, you've been watching it straight through. Come uh, on, Nathan. Yeah, listen, I would tell you. <laughs> I, I know that this is a this is a safe space for that. Uh, that is awesome, um, Mike. Thank you so much for for being here with us today, uh, helping us think through you know speculative fiction and, and speculative practices, and and uh, bringing your extensive knowledge about comics and hip-hop to this conversation. It's, it's been really, really fun. Um, it was so much fun. Thank you for in, inviting me uh, to be a part of this. Um, uh, I, the work y'all do is just uh, phenomenal and, and, and important and fun. And those, when you when you get a space that's all three of those, like, uh, it's something special. So thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's been seven hours, but I'm sure there's 10 minutes in there that we can use. <laughs> Six and a half. <laughs> Pop and Play is produced by Haney Yoon, Nathan Holbert, Lalitha Vasudevan, and Joe Rina Ferry at Teachers College, Columbia University with the Digital Futures Institute. This episode was edited by Jen Lee, Lucius Fangio, and Billy Collins. For a transcript and to learn more, visit tc.edu slash popandplay. Our music is selections from Lee Feeders by Poddington Bear, used here under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license. This episode was assistant produced by Lucius Banjo. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.